But Mum uses Angela Kilfeather as the gold standard. Bad and all as her daughters are, at least they're not lesbians who French-kissed their girlfriends beside suburban Leylandii. Helen once worked with an Indian man, who mistranslated gays as jolly boys. It caught on so much that nearly everyone I know, including all my gay friends, now refer to gay men as jolly boys, always said in an Indian accent. The logical conclusion is that lesbians are jolly girls, also said in an Indian accent. Mum placed one eye up against the gap between the wall and the net curtain. I can't see. Give me your binoculars, she ordered Helen, who produced them from her rucksack, but only for her own personal use. A small, fierce struggle ensued. She'll be gone, Mum begged. Let me see. Promise you'll give me a Valium and the gift of long vision is yours. It was a dilemma for Mum, but she did the right thing. I can't, she said primly. It would be irresponsible. Please yourself, Helen said, then gazed through the binoculars. Good Christ, would you look at that? Bloody hell, what are they trying to do? A jolly girl tonsillectomy? Then Mum was trying to grab the binoculars from Helen, and they wrestled like children, only stopping when they bumped against my hand, the one with the missing fingernails, and my shriek of pain restored them to decorum. After she'd washed me, Mum took the bandages off my face, like she did every day, then bundled me up in a blanket. I sat in the back garden, watching the grass grow, the painkillers made me super dopey and serene, and airing my cuts. But exposure to direct sunlight was verboten, so, even in Dublin in April, I wore a stupid-looking wide-brimmed hat which Mum had worn to my sister Claire's wedding. Luckily, there was no one there to see me. The sky was blue, the day was warm, and I dreamily watched the pretty flowers sway in the breeze. It was only when my tears ran into my cuts and made them sting that I discovered I was crying. I wanted to go back to New York. For the last few days I'd been gripped by a powerful compulsion and unable to understand why I hadn't gone before. I had to return to New York, to my job, my friends. And although there was no way I could tell anyone this, because they would have sent for the men in the white coats, I had to get back to Aden. I closed my eyes and started to drift, but suddenly, like a grinding of gears in my head, I was plunged into a memory of noise and pain. I snapped my eyes open. My heart was pounding and I was struggling for breath. The painkillers weren't working as nicely as they had in the beginning. Ragged little chinks were appearing and the horror would rush in. I struggled to my feet and went inside where Mum dressed my wounds again before my walk. The smaller ones on my forehead have started to itch. That's a good sign, isn't it? Let's see. She moved my fringe aside to take a closer look. These really are healing well, she said. I think we can leave the bandages off these. And maybe the one on your chin. It's only this one, really. She gently stroked antiseptic gel on the deep, puckered gash that ran the length of my right cheek, then paused to let me flinch with pain. This wound wasn't held together with sutures. 
Instead, it had dramatic Frankenstein-style stitches. Of all the marks on the face, this was the only one which wouldn't eventually disappear. But that's what plastic surgeons are for, I said, parroting what the doctor had told us. That's right, Mum agreed, but her voice sounded strangled. Mum, don't cry. I'm not. Good. Anyway, I think I hear Margaret. Roughly, she rubbed her face with a tissue and went outside to laugh at Maggie's new car. Maggie had arrived for our daily walk. Maggie, the second eldest, is the maverick of the Walsh family, our white sheep. The others, even mum in unguarded moments, call her a lick arse. Maggie had rebelled by living a quiet, well-ordered life with a quiet, well-ordered man called Garve, whom for years my family hated. They objected to his reliability...